love. We're going to be talking about Joseph today. We're going to be talking about love. We're going to be talking about fear not. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Love God, love people. That's my translation or my paraphrase of Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Love one another. John 13, 34. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Love your enemies. Luke 6, 35. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38. There is no fear in love but Christ, but perfect love casts out fear. I'm going to read that again because I messed it up. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4, 18. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5, 44. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is... Oh, gosh. Y'all are slow on that one. Because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Y'all get the point here? Love is important. Love is important to God. Love is a big deal. Over 300 times, no matter which translation you pick up, you're going to hear over 300 references of love. I was just reading some out of the New Testament, but is God a God of love in the Old Testament? Yes. Sounds a lot more harsh at different times in the Old Testament. He is a God of love in the Old Testament. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He didn't make it up. He pulled from the scriptures. Love God, love people. Love is a big deal. We need to love. And this idea of love and this, this sermon on love and, and Joseph uh, gave me the opportunity. I asked the staff if I could do it, and, and they were gracious to allow me. I'm going to share with you for just a moment about my new ministry position and the organization that I'm with. It's called Hope Collaborative. And we consider ourselves a great commandment ministry, which is we are a love ministry. The great commandment is to love God and love people. We see throughout Matthew, we see three different greats, correct? We see the great concern, Matthew 25. We see the great commission, Matthew 28. And we see the great command. I've already referenced it a couple times this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The first, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. So, in Hope Collaborative, we are, my job title is this. And I'm going to tell you it and then I'm going to explain it because it's, I think they could have made it a little bit longer, and it's, it's a good title. I am the in-school program coordinator for Hope Collaborative. Now you're thinking, what does that mean, and, and what do you do? So I am in charge of working with different churches to find people who will go into our school buildings during the school day to be that one person for a student. 
to be that one person who cares, that one person who listens, the one person who supports. They may not have that person anywhere. They might have a phenomenal mom or phenomenal dad, but they're a single parent, and, and maybe they don't have a male in their house, and they need a good male figure to be that person for them. Maybe they don't. Maybe no, they don't have any of those situations. Um, maybe the parents are locked up. Maybe their parents are, are absent. Maybe their parents are just totally distant, and they don't have it. And so we all need one person who supports and cares and somebody that helps go through life with you. I think as a church, we have talked about this for years, not in school ministry, not uh, you know, helping outside necessarily, but we're saying it is important to have people to do life with. Life groups, Right? We encourage and have encouraged for years to be a part of life groups. We're encouraging to be a part of D groups, women's groups, men's groups, singles groups, mom's groups, this group, that group, all the groups, because why? It helps us to do things together and to support one another. As your children's pastor for, for a long time, I encourage parents, we need to expand or widen our circle of influence because um, I know that oftentimes we are told stuff over and over and over by our parents. But sometimes when an outside voice says it, it clicks. So we all need someone else in our lives and in the lives of our children. So my job is to go to different churches, share with them about what I'm doing, and then train them, um, pair them up with some students and some schools, and uh, we have a group model. The group model of mentoring is a max of four, and that helps with some peer interaction and um, some social skills and those things as well. But our job is to love, to support. It's all about love. Everything. Not just Hope Collaborative, but Valley Creek, Christianity, Jesus. Everything we do should be out of and surrounded in love. So what does this idea of love have to do with fear not? We've looked at different fear not phrases. We looked at Mary, and she had a fear of inadequacy. I couldn't say it in the first service either. A fear of inadequacy. I should have a fear of saying that word. But a fear of inadequacy. And I said it three times. Good. Zachariah had a fear of disappointment. Next week, we're going to look at the shepherds and, and the experiences that they had and, and what they saw and what they had fear in their life. And today, we're going to look at Joseph and his fear of disapproval. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. So if you have your Bible, uh, grab it and open it with me. It'll be on the screen. But if you have your copy, open it with me and we'll read together. Joseph had a love for Mary. And most importantly, the Lord. And we're going to see that love come through even in the midst of his fear. Starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary has been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So I summed up Joseph with the fear of disapproval. Joseph had this fear of disapproval under the circumstances. When I was told about this idea of fear not uh, in the sermon series on fear not, my initial reaction was, you know, we're looking at the startled of the, the, the angels. They appeared over and over and over, you know. They, they appeared to Mary, and uh, she was scared, and there they were. But, and, the, uh, and Zechariah, oh my goodness, there's just an angel there. And, and when we know more about an angel, we know it's more of a military presence appearing before you. Sometimes bright light, sometimes heavenly host, sometimes all kinds of stuff. But for this one, Joseph is, is lying there contemplating, thinking, maybe falling asleep kind of thing. And, and I don't know, military man walks up. Joseph, fear not. Somebody's over top of your bed at nighttime and says, fear not, are we going to have fear? Yeah, that's, that's weird. That's weird. But the fear is not just the fear of being startled and scared and like, oh my goodness, there's somebody suddenly there. The fear is because of the circumstances. So the last few weeks, Jacob and Sean both shared to, with you all about the, the word betrothal or this level of engagement to be married. And when we look at this level of engagement, it's, there was in this time in Jewish custom a promise of marriage among Jews uh, of the Bible times that might meant engagement without anything definite. That would be kind of our engagement, right? Will you marry me? Yes, I will. You're engaged for a period, and you still can break that off, correct? But there are a number of engagements that in that time that could be broken off, but the betrothal was a binding kind of contract. It was that relationship was already promised to be married. So they were fully committed. They just hadn't had the marriage ceremony or consummated the marriage. This is important because Joseph was now burdened with the news that his wife was pregnant and he knew it wasn't his. Can you imagine? Hey, uh, Joe. I don't know if she called him Joe. I'm going to say he did. She did. I don't know if they shortened it back then or not. Hey, Joe. Um, just so you know, I'm pregnant. You're what? Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. What? No, an angel of the Lord came to me and told me that I'm going to uh, conceive and I'm going to bring forth a baby and, and, and it's his. I haven't been with anybody else. It's his, I promise. Right. Can you imagine? The, so what we see here is that Joseph saw infidelity in the relationship because biologically that makes sense, correct? It didn't make sense to Joseph. So I'm going to look at three things that Joseph did in the past, present, and future tense. I'm going to look at what Joseph had going on in these verses, and I'm going to look 
at how he handled this situation. So first, we see that Joseph decided. Joseph was, was there in thought. He was there in deep thought. We see in verse 19 that the fear was not when the angel said, behold. The fear was not when the angel said, fear not, or hey, what's up? It was The fear was already there. The fear in verse 19 showed that he was deeply troubled over the idea that his future wife, his betrothed, his partner, was unfaithful or was pregnant. And she's telling me this story that it's God's and the Holy Spirit. But he loved Mary deeply. He had three options in this scenario of what he could do with what he was presented. Hey, I'm, 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 I'm going to have a baby, Joseph. I'm going to need to think about this. So he took some time. I don't know what all took place with Mary telling Joseph, you know, Mary's friend told I don't know how Joseph found out necessarily, but there was a point when Joseph knows the story, knows the situation, and we see that he is deeply troubled and he is thinking. But in the middle of that thinking, it says he had kind of decided what he was going to do. But here was his three options. Take her as his wife. This would be where that disapproval would come in. One of the biggest ways this disapproval would come in. Community, family, friends, everybody would, would be looking at this. This would be shameful. It would be shameful for Mary. It would be shameful for him to even take Mary as his wife, to stay with her. He would have to trust that she was, in fact, pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And I'm using that as air quotes. We know it's true, but he did not. He was confused. That was a hard thing to grasp. Or he would have to fully have forgiveness and a boldness to move on in maybe infidelity. So Joseph could have taken her as his wife. The second one was to divorce her quietly or putting her away. Verse 19 tells us that this is the option we know he chose. And he chose this one because he loved Mary. He wanted to save face for himself, but he did not want to put her to shame. So he had planned to do it quietly. And in that custom, all it took for him to legally, and he had the right to divorce her because of her infidelity. And all he had to do was present her with a letter in the witness of two people, and they would be divorced. And even those two people did not have to know the situation. It was not to be told. They could not ask questions. He did not have to explain. It was to be done quietly. And so that, we know, is the way he chose. We know he chose this way because he loved her. and He wanted to take care of her even in the midst of this very, very difficult situation. The third option, which is the one thing he really wanted to protect her from, was Deuteronomy 22, 22 level of punishment. It says this, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lie with her, the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. That was the option he for sure did not want to go down that road. I never really questioned the virgin birth, the significance of Joseph staying with her. 
I never, I really just took it in as part of the Christmas story, maybe because we just hear it so often. We just hear and we listen. It's Christmas. We know we're going to hear about Mary. We know we're going to hear about Joseph. We know we're going to hear about shepherds. We know we're going to hear about wise men. We know we're gonna, we know the Christmas story. And so maybe we just, maybe some of y'all are there right now. Maybe you're just already gone because he's telling the same story that we hear every single year. But I think we are easily accepting this idea of a virgin birth because we have the backdrop of Jesus' life, his ministry, his miracles, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And a virgin birth, birth does not seem near as crazy from this side of it, correct? Because we have seen so many things. He's raised a man from the dead. He's given him sight. He's, he's done so many remarkable things that to say... Well, he was born to a virgin. All right, that makes sense. He was God. God did some amazing things through Jesus, and so why would it not start in an amazing way? But Joseph did not have the luxury of this knowledge. Joseph was confronted by his wife, to be wife, whichever way you want to look at that, it's, that's the confusing part. And was told, hey, I'm pregnant. It's the Holy Spirit. It's going to be the Savior of the world. Joseph had decided on option two to divorce her quietly, but it was out of love that he did it that way. But Joseph, wow, what, what an incredible guy. What an incredible man in this situation to, to choose and to consider love in all of these things. And, and point two is this, is that not only did He'd decide, but he was also still listening. He was currently listening. He made up his mind in his own mind. But how many people have ever done that before fully consulting God? You're like, God, that's what I'm going to do. All right, here's, here's the situation, God. Here's the plan. Then you go to God in prayer. I'm like, all right, God, we're good, right? This is the plan, right? Anybody ever done that? You, you make a plan in your head and you tell God that plan and then you ask God to bless that plan. And he's like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> I got a different idea. So Joseph was still listening. Joseph was open to this idea of something else. He had decided what he was going to do, but he was still deeply troubled and he was listening. He was listening to what God wanted from him. So we move to the present tense. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph was in a deep level of meditation, thought, stress. He was really labored over this thought of what he was supposed to do and what he was going to do. Jo uh, the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So, okay, was it, what kind of dream was this? Was this just a dream? Like, okay, well, did he really do it? Well, God had a habit of talking to Joseph through dreams. He talked to different people through dreams. In Matthew 2.13, it says, An angel appeared to him in a dream, telling him to, this is after Jesus was born, he says, Flee to Egypt that Herod was going to kill baby Jesus. So he heard from God through a dream. 2.19 says, He um, appeared to him in a dream while in Egypt, now to go to Israel because those that wished him dead were dead themselves. So he was safe. He could come out of hiding. 
2.22 now says, Now being told to flee to Galilee, to Nazareth, to get away from Herod's son because the threat was back kind of thing. Multiple times God spoke to Joseph through dreams. This is their form of communication. So this was a real conversation. This was a real God saying, hey, this is, this is what's up. Mary's was, boom, right there in front of her. Joseph's was while he was in deep thought or maybe even in a level of sleep that God says, hey, here's what you're going to do. In verse 21, we get an indication of the magnitude of who this baby was going to be. And, and this comes to Joseph. And I think it's important for him to know that because it helps him to make the choice that he ended up making. At the end of verse 21, it says, Because he will save the world from their sins. Because he will save the world from their sins. This hadn't, John 3.16 hadn't happened yet. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This was in motion. This was starting. But it hadn't happened yet. So he said, this baby will save the world from their sins. 1 John 2, 2 says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for those of the world. Joseph was a man of God. He's a man who, who, who probably knew the prophecy. He knew that there would come a Savior, that there would be someone who would save the world from their sins. He just may not have known the, the degree of that or, or how that would happen or that it would happen necessarily in him. If he had known, known enough, he would have known it would have happened in his family line. But it was time, and he was part of it. Jesus, uh, Joseph had threefold obedience, three levels of obedience here. One, he took Mary as his wife. After God appeared to him, he took Mary as his wife. The second level of, of obedience is this. He did not consummate the marriage. It says that he did not until after Jesus was born. And I think we, we kind of overlooked this one, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that so you don't have things to explain later, but I think the point here is this is a big deal. Jesus had her as his wife but did not consummate the marriage until after the baby was born. He was faithful in everything. And he was also faithful in naming the child. He was to be called Jesus. Emmanuel. So Joseph, in his love for the Lord, was faithful in all of those things. We also see the future tense. What we see in verse 24 is that Jesus goes. So when I first started writing all this out, I, I went, Jesus went. That was my future tense. And then I went, wait a minute, went is not future. Went is past tense. But we're talking about something in the past so if I talk about the past tense, about him going, would that be went? And I, I don't know, I confused myself. I probably just confused you. So I changed it to Joseph goes. Sorry for that little ramble. But Joseph goes. Joseph heard from the Lord and he goes. It says he went. He listened to the Lord. Once he heard from God, his anxieties were over, doubts dispelled, and faith clear. He went and immediately did what the angel told him. One commentary I read this week says this, Joseph's obedience and submission under these circumstances is scarcely less remarkable than Mary's. Joseph's a big deal. Mary was a big deal, yes. 
But we shouldn't overlook Joseph in this scenario because Joseph loved Mary. Joseph loved the Lord so much so that he was obedient to to her. I think even in his choice to divorce her quietly, but he was obedient to God because he was listening. And then he listened and not only listened, but he heard it and he obeyed it. 1 John 4.18, I read it earlier. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We see that Joseph was very afraid. I think right, rightly so. We've, we've may all had a time in our life where we're burdened by a decision, burdened by something that's going on, and we've, like, we've got to figure this out. We've got to do something. And, and again, we probably do it ourselves first and then say, okay, God, this sounds good, right? We go to him first and say, what do I need to do? Where do you need me? What needs to happen? Joseph's a big deal because the first 17 verses of Matthew are showing that it was going to happen in and through Joseph. We see that Joseph is a big deal because even all the way back here, we see that Abraham... He's going to come from the line of Abraham. In, in Genesis 2.18, it says, All the nations of earth will be blessed by your offspring. That is about Abraham. For his faithfulness with Isaac. All of this could have been null and void. None of this could have happened if God did not spare Isaac. But Abraham was faithful with the son that he was given through Isaac God spared him his life. Isaac then went down the line. I'm skipping a whole bunch because if I go through 17 verses, I know a lot of times we skip. And a lot of times we start in verse 18 with the Christmas story because when you hear Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and you're, you're, you're gone you're glazed over if you're reading it. And if you're reading it yourself, you're already going. I know it's difficult. It's, it seems dull. It seems dry. It seems insignificant, but it's not. And I've learned this more as I've gotten older. It's not insignificant. It's a big deal. And it's hard to understand because you do have to understand more and you have to dig in more because reading that alone doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to David, David on down the line to Joseph. I'd summed up all those 17 verses in those few lines right there. Joseph was a part of the plan from the beginning. I mean, I read Genesis 2.18, that that was part of the plan from Abraham. Joseph was part of the plan. Will you love like Joseph? That's my question today. Will you love like Joseph? The great commandment is to love God, love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your God with everything you got, and then love others. Will you love others even when it's hard? He loved Mary even when it was hard. In a moment like that, he could have instantly been like, Nope, you cheated, you're gone, you're out. Stoner, put her to death, whatever we got to do. But he's like, I love her, and I want what's best for her. 
And so I'm going to do this quietly, and I'm going to take care of her. I think there was some selfishness in there, too. I'm probably going to save face a little bit for me. But he loved her, and he wanted what's best in that situation that he knew how to do. But then he loved the Lord enough that he listened, and he obeyed. Will you love the Lord even when it's hard? Will you love God when he tells you to do something crazy, difficult, that doesn't make sense? And throughout Scripture, we see God does this, but he also gives you the tools to do it. He doesn't tell you to do something that you are incapable of doing. He doesn't tell you to do something and then be like, good luck, Google it. No, Noah didn't have Google, did he? (laughs) He had to figure it out, but also God equipped him. God taught him. God showed him. Probably even better than Google now would be YouTube, right? We can do a lot of things by just watching someone else do it and be like, so you got your hands greasy from a car, and sorry, I'm chasing rabbits. But you can do a lot of things, but God doesn't tell you to do something without giving you the abilities to do it. He will equip you. So will you love the Lord even when it's hard? And will you obey even when it's hard? Joseph is a phenomenal example of a man who loved people and loved God. So the way I want to end today is this, is that love God, love people idea. You cannot do any of the others without the first one, love God. We were talking out there at the, uh, uh, there's a, a, a nativity out on the front table, and I, I jokingly scooted the, the wise men away. I'm like, y'all weren't here yet. Y'all scoot over here. Uh, y'all were just still 18 months away. Just y'all scoot away. You weren't here yet. And so, but the thing that we do know is they started the trip, right? They started the trip, and they started to go to him. But we see that the teachers of the law the Pharisees and all the, 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 the smart people, they knew where Jesus was, right? They knew that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Because as soon as Herod asked, they said, oh, he's over here. They knew it. But are they in our nativity scene? No. Because they knew the stuff but didn't know him. They didn't have that relationship. That relationship has to be first. I heard Scott, I don't know how many times, you can miss heaven by about 12 inches, 10 inches, from your head knowledge to your heart. You can miss Jesus by knowing all the stuff in the world but not living it and having it personal to you. So my challenge is this. Do you need to have that love of Jesus personal in your life for the first time? you got to love God first. Then you got to love others. Are you loving people well? Are you loving well? In our Advent prayer, we, we began talking a little bit about that. About we're so busy with our time. We're so busy with the world around us. We're so busy with our stuff that we're not taking time for others. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. So maybe you need to drop to your knees and be like, God, you know I need to love others better. Because we do hear that, you know, if we love God but don't love others, do we really love God? So we need to love God and we need to love others. I'm going to pray. Our band's going to come back. They're going to lead us in a song. And, and as we sing this song together, I do invite you to respond if you need to. 
Maybe you need that first time relationship with Jesus, that, that knowledge. Maybe today something clicked and you're like, whoa, this Christmas story is a little bit different. Maybe you need that love for the first time and you want to invite him into your life. Maybe you need to love others better. And so you want to do that as well. So God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for, we thank you for loving us first. We thank you for showing us this plan of love even from Adam and Eve. That you desired a relationship. You desired to walk and to talk and to be with us, Jesus. That was your original plan. But we mess it up. We messed it up then. We continue to mess it up now. But from that moment forward, God, we know that your plan was for Christmas. It wasn't called Christmas, but your plan was for Christmas. Your plan was for Jesus to come and to save the world from their sins. Help us to love you with everything that we have and then to turn around and love others. So God, we thank you again for who you are and we give this time to you and it's in your name we pray, amen.